Jake Madass from Graphic Precision, and I'm here with my co-host, Carl, from Holy Carp Design. How you doing, Carl? Pretty good this morning. How are you doing, Jake? Very good, very good. So, we're back again. This is episode 157. Pretty crazy to be doing this weekly. Just seems like it goes by pretty quick. So, what are you up to? What are you working on? Uh, this week, I've been working on some decks. I've been working on... Um... Some flyers, actually, for a guy that does an interesting thing. It's a uh, memory training. Um, pretty interesting stuff, and it, it got me thinking a little bit. Oh, all right. Um, well, why don't we start quick with a little bit of design news, because I want to try to do this each week to come up with something that's design-related that's in the news, whether mainstream or just strictly design news or whatever. But what we're going to talk about is the tennis organization, the U.S. Open, has rebranded. Uh, they purposely did this because it's the 50th anniversary of the Open era, which actually what that means really quickly is they started the national championship in 1881, and then they evolved to the Open in 1968. So this is actually the 50, 50th anniversary for the Open era. So they actually came up with a new logo, and I thought we'd talk about it really quick. I'll have a link in the show notes so you can actually go and look and see what the logo looks like. Um, I'll also throw a picture of it up on the uh, show note website, and that way you can see it there. What do you think? All right, so let's uh, look at their first logo bef- um, previous to this new one, uh, where it had a crescent swoosh. It had a nice golden tennis ball that was on fire. And it had all caps. So Crescent Swoosh was something that we saw a lot back in the uh, mid-2000s. And, you know, the the flaming ball is probably the most distinguishing feature in this previous logo. Uh, Problems that I have with this one was uh, the ball is going against the grain with the swoosh. And the flames are back behind the ball. So... This looks like two oppositional forces where the tail of fire should have actually been coming perhaps from the direction of the crescent swoosh. All right, so today we were introduced to a a logo that has, it adopts kind of two uh, colors that were parallel to the previous logo. Um, It it becomes a flat logo with uh, yellow and blue, which I applaud going with uh, eliminating the gradients because we need to get this logo on a whole bunch of stuff. Um, but then they also went uh, 180 on all of the text and on the icon, uh, basically going all lowercase rather than all uppercase. What do you think of that, Jake? That, that's a strange trend that seems to be out there for a lot of major brands to start using lowercase. And I don't know. To me, like, I understand it. I understand it's kind of supposed to take a step back from seeming too strict or too professional or too, like, corporate, I guess, the way I want to put it. But to me, something as big as an important and as iconic as the U.S. Open, it just feels like it's such a playful look. Not granted, yes, tennis is play. Tennis is a game. I just, it's... I don't know, the the whole lowercase trend to me is a kind of a strange trend. I do like the colors. I think the colors work great because if you watch tennis, you, you know that a lot of the background is blue. A lot of the mats that they have for the walls and stuff like that are blue. 
So it really makes sense the way they did this. At first, I was kind of like, strange that they would do a, like a, a rectangle logo with a background color and then put this on it. But when I see it in play on the actual surface, it makes a lot of sense. And then they have a couple photos here. We're actually on the uh, gdusa.com website. There are some really cool shots where like blue shirts and they incorporate the year very easily with it. The signage, the, the hats with the embroidery is kind of cool. But then you go to a tennis ball and it's a black uh, silk screen on top of the tennis ball. So it works really well in that sense of keeping it simple and keeping it, like you said, getting rid of the gradient look and getting rid of that stuff. So it works really, really well and it translates really well. And actually, that was one of the things that they talked about in this article was that they went to the design firm and said, hey, you know, one of the challenges we have is using this with digital media. Well, now they've simplified it so much that it's very, very easy to use. Just not sure how I feel about the lowercase. It's just not something I'm really a fan of. Now, the icon for the ball, I kind of like that. I get what they were doing. I get the fact that those stripes that are kind of cut into the yellow ball are supposed to kind of be like the stripes on the ball itself. But we were talking before we started recording, and you made a really good comment about that icon. What were you saying about that? Sure. So I get that it's uh, the ball and it's conveying speed, but um, I would have, this to me looks like a conceptual piece and I would have tweaked a little more and just getting some of that iconic curvature uh, that you see on a tennis ball where it kind of uh, just has a nice unique shape that is unique to all tennis balls. I mean, baseballs have the stitching, tennis balls have this line that kind of traces around the ball. And I think from one angle, you could have gotten these uh, curvatures into this logo and then have it kind of trail better into the tail. That or I would have kind of tweaked it so that you see a little more of the ball on the back end before you get into the, the action graphic of it kind of being propelled forward. Yeah, I agree with you. Like, I, It's funny looking at it, obviously, I, knowing the US Open, knowing what it is, it's very easy to say, oh, okay, that's a... A ball, but I wonder if I saw that by itself, which is something you always have to think about when you're designing an icon to go with text. Is if you decide to use that icon by itself, will it make sense? I think yes, this does as long as it's within the context and people know what that context is. But if you were to put that by itself and say show it to a dentist or show it to something completely random, they may not understand what that is. And I realize context in any design uh is essential like that context makes a big deal i i kind of like the simplicity of it and and how they've got away from the complexity of the flame and the ball and separating the two and all that i like that it's all one piece i'm just not sure i I agree with you i think you kind of lose the ball shape because of the way that it was drawn but and obviously we're being critical of this, but we're only being critical to, to point out things that how we see them differently. I think overall, I think it's a really strong logo. I think it's going to serve them very well. Like I said, if you look at the photos in here, it does serve them really well. It looks great on a t-shirt. It looks great on signage. It's simple. It, it's recognizable. I just think that the lowercase type isn't something I'm a fan of. And I think they could have tweaked things a little bit more, but then again... That's just being a designer and having that critical eye. 
I'm sure there's a lot of people that are absolutely love it, but that that's part of being a designer. That's all I have for design news today. So what what's our main topic for today? Uh, so we're going to talk a little about um, where as designers and as business owners, we may want to skill up a little bit um, to just become better at what we do, better at uh, working with who we serve, uh, whether we're business to business or business to consumer. Um, cause I, this week I had two things come up that were relatively unique and I think that I could benefit from learning some of these things. What, what were those? So I mentioned a little earlier as a preview, the, uh, flyer I'm doing for a memory trainer. Now I had invited this guy to, uh, our networking meeting just out of the blue to see you. Cause I feel like memory training is something that we can all benefit as business owners. Specifically, he trains people on how to remember their presentations and how to do their uh, how to memorize names. Now, that's parallel to the work that I do in the leadership training business. In fact, it turns out he knew some of the other people that I knew and some of the businesses I work with. So it was a double bonus. I got some work out of it as well as having a visitor to my group. That being said, I said to him that I'd love to learn his technique because I, I have a lot of trouble memorizing names and just having that recall ability, not only with names and talking, putting names to faces, but also to remember the projects that I'm working on in my mind, the details that come up so that when I'm not near my board or when I'm not on the web, I know what I, I should be working on next um, rather than carrying basically my little uh, whiteboard with me everywhere. Um and also presentation-wise, when I'm doing a 10-minute presentation to kind of pitch an idea or to sh sell my services, I want to be able to uh, go up front and own it, to not have to say um or ah uh, or whatever, to make the presentation, to be able to tweak it on the fly and know that I'm tracking correctly with time and not worrying about forgetting important details. That's interesting because I... I was out in Las Vegas a couple of years ago at a pet sitting conference because I used to do a lot of pet sitting design, logos, flyers, and stuff like that for pet sitters. And I met a gentleman, Marcus Sheridan. Um, he was also known as the Sales Lion. I don't I think he might have rebranded recently, but he could remember people's names. And, and I thought that was absolutely amazing. It was really impressive. Now, granted, it was a room of maybe 45 people, but... He even did it where he knew your name before he got up there. He What he did is he stood in the back during a previous presentation and said to the person, okay, what's that person's name? What's that person's name? And so when he addressed people, when it came to uh, questions and answers, he actually would say, hey, Sally, what's your question? And it blew people away. Now, I'm well aware that there's tricks to that, that there's a way to do it. But that to me is just an impressive skill to have especially in a presentation type environment where you can actually find that information out ahead of time, but also to be in a dinner party setting and then run into that person later and remember that person's name. That shows one, you're paying attention, two, you care, and three, that you actually have the skill set to remember something like that. So it's kind of cool that you're working with somebody like that. Yeah. So we're actually working on doing a presentation uh, with one of our local banks to get this out to the business community. 
that's one skill that I, you know, you can learn in an afternoon and practice and gain some mastery over it. Now, there's another skill that came up. Uh, one of my clients needed to, me to basically hammer together a demo reel for a webinar series that they were pitching to a client. And we already had like a logo um, intro that was from one video. And then we were going to sit down and cut two hours of video down to five minutes just to sample uh, the learning development space, uh, the interaction, and then just some of the tools that we, we were going to learn. Turns out you can only do so much with free make video, which is what I use. It's a great service to cut video down. But I've never warmed up my Adobe Premiere, which is part of Creative Cloud. So I, I turned that on. I went to YouTube. I learned five minutes of basics, pulled it all together, and got it done. But I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, Adobe Premiere would be a great skill to have. Maybe not as um, a service I provide to everyone, but just something that we could use for our webinars, something we can use for our, our rookie, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, that one of the cool things about the Adobe Cloud is the fact that we have access to that stuff now. When we first started doing design, we didn't have that. Like We bought certain programs. Now with a membership or a, a monthly fee, we get access to all of these other things. And I think Premiere is definitely one that even if you're not great at it, you could still put something together. And with any of these skills... You know, and I both know that part of that is just utilizing it. The reason that I'm really, really strong with InDesign is because I use it every day. But my skill set with Photoshop is not as strong because it's not something that I use as often. But, but I have the basic knowledge to be able to do what I need to do and a little bit more advanced knowledge and some of the specifics of it. But there are things I, I have no clue about. Like, I'm not a composite artist. Like, don't ask me to do compositing in... Photoshop, it's just not going to happen. Don't ask me to paint in Photoshop. Um, and then it's kind of the same thing with Illustrator. I think Illustrator, I'm closer to the InDesign knowledge level than I am with Photoshop. But again, there's like there's things in Illustrator that I'm not really good at. But having the Creative Cloud is giving me access to say, okay, now I can go play with Premiere. I play with Audition when I'm doing the editing for the podcast. And I've learned a lot with Audition just because I have access to that. So I think taking advantage of that, it's a no-brainer. Like you said, even if you're not selling the service to all of your customers, it's good to learn because, one, it opens up your creativity. It gives you another area to kind of play with, to get creative, to try some different things. And who knows? Maybe it'll turn into some. Maybe it'll turn into something that's more of a passion than, than other things. Um, I mean, that's that's why I do photography. I, I play around in the video space as well. So I totally get that. Um, it, it's funny with, with the skills you're talking about. One of the things that I recognized in my local area was that social media was becoming more and more on the tip of the tongue of local business people. Of course, being someone who spends a lot of time at social media, I'm like, where the heck have you guys been for the last five years? This has been around. It's been a big deal. But this area, it wasn't. It wasn't as advanced in that type of marketing. So I was able to take some of the skills I had from doing it myself and expand on that. Like I, I taught myself a little bit more about how to put together a Facebook ad 
I figured out how to do boosting on Facebook. I've learned how to do more on Instagram as far as, again, going back to the video thing, why, why stories are so important and what to do with those and how to use those in a marketing sense. I've played around with live, whether it's Instagram live, Facebook live, and how to use those things. So I've honed my skills on that specifically so I can market that to my clients because as much as I love doing print design and that's where I spend most of the time for my business, a lot of my clients need more than that. I mean, like they need web design, they need video editing, they need social media. So it's like, it's, it's finding out what some of those other things are. And I don't want to spread yourself too thin, but again, it's always important to keep learning. It's always important to find new skills, to figure out what to do with those skills and, and see if it is something that's marketable. Or is it just something that's going to be a, a side passion of yours to play around with? Like, I think for me, photography has always been that way. It's always been something that I do on the side and I like doing it. Now, I'll take a picture of a vehicle for a flyer I'm working on for a car show. Or I'll take a picture of somebody if they need a quick headshot. But I'm by no means am I a professional photographer. But it's a skill that I continue to learn more about and it's a skill that I decide to focus on um so I think social media is definitely one that that I've really been honing in on like I said audio with doing a podcast is a big one for me and so is video I I play around in both premiere and um, audition for that stuff and I love the fact that it's included with the adobe cloud what I think is important is to find sources to learn from that are reputable Yes, YouTube's awesome. There's a ton of stuff out there on YouTube. But there's also a ton of stuff out there on YouTube that isn't good, that the practices aren't good. Because we all know, like in anything with design, there are good practices on how to do stuff. One of the places that I use is Linda. I pay for a yearly Linda membership so that I can go and, and hone in skills that are, aren't what I do every day. But also, there may be things that I get tripped up on with InDesign. Like I was doing a book layout and it'd been quite a long time since I had done a book layout. And I said, you know what? I just want a refresher course on how to do it. So I went in and I watched Nigel French's class on building a book. And it just gave me some of the things that I, I hadn't used that blew the dust off a few tools that I hadn't used in a while and allowed me to get my skills up to the level they needed to be. There's Linda, there's... I think one called Plurist or something like that. Um, that that tends to be more coding. But Code Academy is another one. Yeah, Code Academy is another one. Um, where, where else have you picked up knowledge to build on these skills? Besides, I mean, obviously talking to somebody, which sounds like you've been actually having somebody train you for the memory thing. I've taken um, a course at AGI training uh, before where it was really a robust method of oh, a method of building robust PDFs because PDFs can become presentation tools, apparently. Um, so I've taken formal courses. I've been to a couple seminars where we were talking about the theory behind uh, e-learning. Um, that was the Docebo conference. Um, so I've, I've done... Uh, both seminars and conferences and uh, formal classes. And I've also taken classes at some of my clients' uh, sites just to help build my knowledge of what they do. 
So I'm, I'm constantly adding uh, new stuff to my LinkedIn uh, profile with those classes. Nice. Nice. Yeah. What is a skill that besides the two that you just talked about that is kind of like the far off one where you're like, it's something that I would absolutely love to learn about, but it's not necessarily something I'm doing right now, but maybe down the road. What is something that you'd like to actually learn about? Well, I've taken a course in uh, design thinking before, and um, design thinking is a great approach to coming up with new ideas. Um, I would like to learn how to facilitate design thinking a little more for my clients. And with that, you usually need a group of people because the ideas is kind of from a group think. Um, so when you talk about design thinking, you're not thinking just graphic design. You're solving problems for people. So um, becoming not just someone that knows and understands the whole process that Idio created, but also uh, being able to facilitate that process from start to finish. Interesting. Interesting. For me, I, I've got this real passion to learn how to code or how to set up an Alexa skill. Completely outside of my wheelhouse. I mean, I am not a coder. I understand very little when it comes to code, but there's just something about that area that really intrigues me. Um, I'm very intrigued with voice and what that's going to do and, and automation and stuff like that. But my thing is I, I am trying to figure out how I can take design and figure out something in the design world that could use Alexa that an Alexa skill could be helpful, could be helpful for a designer or for a creative director or something. So I, I'm really interested in that space. And I think that's somewhere that in my free time, I'm going to dabble in and say, okay, let's try this and see what happens. Um, I did a little bit already. Um, I, it's code. There, there's no question. So it is a part of my brain that, that, the same reason I don't do web design that just screams, oh my God, what are you doing? So it, it's, it is different. Now I have friends that are very, very good coders that I've reached out to and said, hey, you know, I want to try to put something together. Are you willing to work with me on this to, to help me? So I could still learn how it works without necessarily maybe having to do the actual coding. But there's, there's the part of me too that's like, if I'm going to do this, I want to know how to do it myself. But it's nice to have those people to kind of lean on and say, okay, I put this together and it just, no matter what I do, it won't work. And they can go in, like a lot of coders, look at something for two seconds and go, oh, there, it's right there. It's a period you put, you shouldn't have put. And you're like, what? I just spent the four hours looking for the stupid thing. So it's good to have. So that's actually a skill that I really want to try to focus on. Um, so you have anything else to, that you recommend as far as, skilling getting your skills up to a certain level or finding new skills like what is there anything else um you really need to think about your blind spots where what are people asking you to do in your field and um where where are you interested in learning from what they're asking you for because some people may may not know fully what you do um whether it's copywriting or search engine stuff or um, the uh, marketing on Facebook and socials. Um, find out what people want, see if you are interested in it, and just uh, 
then you can start planning a path towards learning it. Yeah, and a good example of that is when I, like I had done brochures, I had done multi-page brochures, but I had never done magazines. So there was a time that I needed to learn some different skills while they were parallel in a lot of ways. There were a lot of things I didn't know about printing a magazine that I needed to sit down with a printer and learn. So yeah, it's a good example of something still within what I do, but realizing that I needed to learn those skills as well. So it doesn't have to be something completely outside of your everyday thing. It could be something parallel to what you do that you say, hey, you know, I didn't think about that. I really could offer that service as well if I learn that skill. So I think it's really important that people always keep learning, keep reading, keep watching videos, keep doing tutorials, keep hanging out with other designers. Just always be learning because if you're not learning, you're going to lose. Things are moving so fast with technology now that you got to always be learning if you want to stay ahead of the curve. I think the hardest thing that any business has is finding that next thing, keep moving forward and keep learning. So I think finding a skill you want to work on and working towards that is huge. I did have think of one other place to learn a skill. And this is kind of, uh, I guess, a little underhanded, but you know what? Whatever. Um, a client of mine hired uh, one of the larger companies to do search engine optimization for their two sites. And uh, since I managed their website, they said, we want you to be our go-to contact. So I sat in on the sales conversation. I sat in on the implementation conversation, and I'm the point of contact. And I'll say after two months, I've learned everything that they're going to ever need to teach me to actually start implementing these high-level search engine tricks. They're really not working magic. It's relatively simple um, for, for what my client's looking for. So, yeah, yeah, that's one way to skill up, you know, put yourself, put yourself out there to uh, work on behalf of your client sometimes whether it's um, working uh, with the printers, working with your web person or the copywriters and see what um, you can help do as a you know, collaborative project to get the design process to, to work. So. And, if, and if it's something that's not comfortable, that's almost better because that means that you're going to take something away from it. Don't be afraid to put yourself in a situation where you're not 100% comfortable. That's almost a good thing. I mean, I'd almost recommend that you kind of throw yourself into something like that. And that's kind of what you did. It was, you don't know these things, but now you do because you threw yourself into that situation. So yeah, that's awesome. That's a great way to just learn new skills. Um, I think we're, let's go into our next section, which is rookie recommendations. What do you have this week? So as you know, I work with a company or a group that does a convention every February called Total Confusion. And at that convention, I get to try a whole bunch of new games, which I love. Um, I'm recommending this game called Element. It's made by Rather Dashing. And this game um, is basically like a game of Go, which is a Japanese game, but with four stone colors. Okay. And you have two sages. Now, each one of the stones does different things. They represent uh, the elements earth, wind, fire, and water. Um, and they all affect the movement of your character, which is the sage. 
ultimately you win by trapping the sage of your opponent, the opponent to the right. So you've only, if you're playing with four people, you're only trying to trap one sage. So it's somewhat cooperative because you want to stop other people from trapping the sages to their right before you trap the one to your right. Because once a sage is trapped, game over, the, that person wins. So huh. I recommend this game. You learn, learn it in like five or ten minutes, and then you can play it uh, relatively quickly. It's going to be a fun game that I play one-to-one uh, -one with my clients when I'm talking business. So can you play one-to-one, -one or is it... Yeah, you can play one-on-one. -on -one. One on one, up to, well, that's awesome. Up to four players. That that's got to be interesting playing with four players and and not targeting the other two, targeting that one, but then one of them is targeting you, and it's like that makes it really interesting. It's a real cool twist. Um, now what what is Total Confusion exactly? It's a conference for what? Total Confusion's a four day gaming convention, which uh, I help run the dealers hall and the exhibitor space. Um, we're about 1,500 to 2,000 people, and we run role-playing games, board games, uh, some video games, and miniatures. Um, so it's every February, the week of school vacation in Massachusetts. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Very cool. And I, and I know you absolutely have a huge passion for that, because I know you get excited every year for that. I also know it's a lot of work for you, but that's awesome. Um, my recommendation c comes from stuff that actually happened yesterday. So let me tell you this story. So I'm working on a project for a client and all of a sudden this gust of wind, I'm, I'm in my office at home. So I actually can see out, I have all windows and I can see out the backyard, which is basically yard and then the mountain. This huge gust of wind comes through and I swear to God, every tree went sideways and I was like, what the heck? It shook the whole house. And and then it just, it did it a couple times. And I was like, man, that's crazy. And I just went back to work and everything. All of a sudden, boom, lights go out. And one of my monitors. And the reason only one of my monitors went out is because my other monitor and my computer are hooked to a battery backup system. Thank God. Because I had been working, and, and I know better than this. I've been doing this long enough to know better than to work on a file for more than 15 minutes without saving it. I had been working on this file for probably about an hour. And if that had not been on a battery backup, I probably would have thrown the stupid thing out the window. It it Because that's, that's what happens when the power goes out. Everything goes off. What's nice about the battery backup and what it is is... It's what they call UPS. UPS is un, uninterrupted power supply. And what it is, it's exactly like I said, it's a battery backup. I also have the one that's a battery backup and a surge protector. So part of it is the battery backup, and then the other part can just be a surge protector. So that's where my other monitor is plugged in, or my main monitor, my Mac Mini, and I think my, my network switch are all in the battery backup part. So when the power goes off, I have anywhere from a few minutes to 15 minutes to shut everything down correctly, make sure I save things that I've been working on, and that's the key. So I highly recommend that if you have any type of tower system, like obviously with a laptop, you, you don't have that issue because you have the battery 
backup basically in the laptop. But if you use any type of desktop, I highly recommend, first of all, always make sure you're in a surge protector because you never know what's going to happen that, that something could surge in the house and hurt the computer. But secondly, think about the battery backup because if you're working on a file, even if you've been working on something for 10 minutes and everything shuts down, you're not going to be happy. But more importantly, you don't want your computer because if you take a spinning hard drive and you just shut it off, it can cause some problems. If you've got an operating system that doesn't shut down correctly, it can cause some problems. It doesn't matter what operating system it is. So it's important that you have that in place. The other thing that I, and I have the same, I actually have two. I have one that works with my home computer or my desktop computer at home, but I also have one on my server. I have one, I have a four bay NAS system, a network attached storage system. What that does is that holds all my photos, a lot of my videos, a lot of my, all my client files and stuff like that. And I'll, and it's what they call RAID backup, which is basically it's redundant. And so if one of the drives happens to fail or something, I can switch out the drive and it'll continue to work. I have a battery backup on that because that is the last thing you want to turn off without spinning it down correctly. If that shuts off, it's almost guaranteed it's going to screw something up. may not fry to drive, but you may have files that are corrupt. You may have other problems. So I have, I have basically, I have a one that has my NAS on it, my wireless and my modem on it. So that way, if the power cuts off, none of those things are just shutting off and fry. So I highly recommend that if you don't have a battery backup that you actually look at them. They're available um, from several different companies. And the thing is they come in different sizes. So like I think I have one that's like 650 or something like that. And that same one goes from like 200 to like 1500. And what that number corresponds to is how big the battery is and how long the battery will last with your stuff running. Now, the idea is you don't want to push that 15 minutes. The idea is to say, okay, power's off, get everything powered down, unplug everything, and make sure everything's okay. It's not to try to run off the battery backup, because the other thing is there's an alarm system on it to let you know that it is active, and that will drive you insane, because it beeps every 30 seconds. <laughs> but the idea is for it to let you know, hey, power's cut off, because... Say you're working on something and you don't have any lights on, it's during the day, and it doesn't look like anything shut off. This thing will say, beep, hey, whole house has got no power. You need to get your stuff shut down. So I, I highly recommend, well, I'll put a link to the one that I have um, in, from Amazon in the show notes. Highly recommend you look at them. Um, it's a no-brainer. The cost is a good range depending on how long you want it to work. It also depends on how many plugs, how much of a surge protector, how big of a battery, things like that. So if you don't have, if you have any type of desktop that you work from home with and you don't have a battery backup, make sure you get one. It's going to save you at some point. And boy, did it save me the other day. And the worst part is I'm now downtown working in an office because I still don't have power at home. So good thing I had the battery backup, but good thing I have somewhere else to work too. So I highly recommend it, especially if you live anywhere that loses power 
on a regular basis, it's a no-brainer. So I highly recommend it. So I think that's everything for today's show. Um, we're trying to keep it a little shorter than last time because we went pretty long last time. So you have anything else, Carl, before we go? I'm just amazed you're using a server and not Dropbox or Box. <laughs> a conversation for another time, I'm sure. Absolutely. Uh, that's all I got. All right, awesome. If you guys want to find the show notes, the links that we talk about, you can go to rookiedesigner.com slash RD157. This is episode 157. So all the episodes are basically RD for Rookie Designer and then the number. You can also find us on Facebook at Rookie Designer. You can find us on Twitter at Rookie Designer. And also you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, and Anchor. Best part about Anchor is you can actually call into the show. If you're interested, please do that. I'll listen to those and we may play them during the show, especially if you've got a really, really good question. So again, that's on anchor.fm. Also, if you guys could leave us a review on iTunes, we'd really appreciate it. It shows iTunes that we're a good podcast. It also shows everybody else that, that it's worth listening. So if you get a chance, please go leave a review on iTunes for us. And remember, guys, everyone's a rookie before they're an all-star. 